0: Hello and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for being an awesome, awesome God. We just pray that your Holy Spirit would move, touch, heal, Father, as only you can. We ask, Father, that uh, from our mouths, Father, we would be able to confess you as Lord, to speak forth the truth that is in front of us, and that we would uh, honor you, Father, with our lives and with the things that we have. We thank you, Father, for your gift of love and mercy. We just pray that your Spirit would just move through this room to... Touch us and heal us as only you can. We bind the enemy, Father, and just ask that this be your time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, um, if you've been with us through Proverbs, it's been kind of ha-ha fun. Uh, We've been able to uh, 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 put a sermon together out of some of this. The first nine chapters seem to almost have a sequence of a flow of thought. We get into chapter 10. Uh, as much as I can try to salvage a message that's coherent and uh, of the same thought line, it can be very difficult through the rest of these chapters. I was talking to somebody and they go, oh, I've never seen anybody teach the book of Proverbs verse by verse. It, it is a, a daunting challenge and they were saying, I saw one guy do it and he said he just read a verse, was quiet for a while, then read another verse, <laughs> it was quiet for a while. And it's almost like that's the pace you're forced to go through this on. You're, you're forced to kind of meditate, think upon each one. I, I, I kind of want to break it that if, if anybody feels led to chime in on something, you don't have to wait to the end of the message for questions, comments, or criticisms. But uh, you're, you're welcome to put some insight into that. that. That might, you know, but they're just heavy thoughts. I, I, we have a lot of ground to, to cover. I'm not going to be able to touch each and every single proverb and to do it justice, and and that's the whole thing of proverbs. Proverbs are little sayings that you know you could take with you for the rest of your life and make one proverb into your whole life if you wanted to, and uh, you, you kind of they're just nuggets of truth. So we we kind of chomp through them and we're going to look at a, a theme if we would. Uh, in chapter 10, but definitely when we go through this, it's just opening up the door for a lot of things to kind of work because it it changes the whole pace of what's being said and done. So, uh, with that, we will try and chomp through some of this. Chapter 10, verse 1. It says, A wise son makes a glad father. That's good. Papas are proud. But a foolish son... Is the grief of his mother. I, I, I guess the, the father the father takes the credit and the mother gets the grief, right? Uh, or she at least bears the responsibility. So if you're a good boy, dad's proud of you. If you're bad, your mother's ashamed of you. And uh, it kind of flows along those lines. Treasuries, verse two, treasures of, of wickedness profit nothing. But righteousness delivers from, de- from death. So you can have all your money from wickedness, but it just means nothing to you. And I suppose there's some truth of that. You steal a bank, you rob from somebody, and you don't appreciate the value of that dollar. Uh, but if you work hard, and uh, you, uh, you, you have a good feeling about yourself, and you can be delivered from death. The Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish, but he casts away the desire of the wicked. So that's a good promise that uh, as God is saying, he's not going to allow the righteous soul to famish. You can say, well, I'm not going to starve to death. I'm not going to die here. God's going to have a power to deliver and to take care of. Uh, I do sometimes have a hard time as we see many a, a Christian turn into a beggar on the street. And we have sometimes to believe that God would take care of us. It's not always the end. You read Chuck's notes there in his Bible. He talks about it. It's interesting how that switches that around instead of saying it's not a matter of what God does, but it's a matter of if I'm righteous. And I, I don't, you know, sometimes we look at that and we have to believe that God can, can take care of us, but sometimes we, we compromise God's truth and then we end up suffering because of it. The proverb is, and the truth of the word is, is that the Lord, the Lord God, would not allow the righteous soul to famish. And it is interesting, it says soul, not necessarily our bellies, but our soul to famish. But he casts away the desire of the wicked. And when the heart goes aside, God has nothing to do with that and separates himself from us. And so it goes into, he who has a slack hand becomes poor. But the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a wise son, and he who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. So we're, we're seeing a series of Proverbs that kind of flow together about the blessings of the Lord working with the righteous and the cursing and the rotting and the withering of those that fall away. And I suppose what you're really seeing is that God wants us to be true and faithful to Him and to have a solid foundation. Dishonest gain, dishonest ways of uh, getting ahead of something, it, it only falls away and is destroyed and causes the shame, poor, poverty. And obviously there's a proverb there, he who has a slack hand becomes poor. There's not too many places in Christianity for laziness. Uh, A lot of people want to use Christianity as a crutch. And I I like that illustration that we lean on and trust in God. We don't want to have our own self-reliance, if you would. But there is definitely a, a call for you and I to be able to say, We have to be diligent at what we do. We cannot be slothful. We cannot be careless in in the least ways of what our life is. And it is sad to see many Christians, you know, uh, uh, become lazy, become slack, and they use God as an excuse to continue their slothful behavior, just laziness. To quote my brother, my brother always likes to say, God hates a coward. And, uh, And sometimes Christianity is cutting edge, it's not being afraid, it's not holding back, it's pushing forward. And uh, there are times that we need to apply ourselves, work and be diligent. And uh, to be a lazy bum in the name of Jesus is inexcusable. And so God's going to be pouring out his blessings on those that are going to be diligent, if you would. Kind of like that. It says, the wise in heart will receive commandments. It says, but a pratting fool will fall. The wise in heart will receive commandments. So if you're wise, you're going to receive instruction, commands. You're going to be listening and going where you're told to be going. It says, but a pratting fool will fall. For those that are reading the King James, the new King James like us, pratting to be a pratting fool would be someone who's talking about nothing, you're babbling about uh, peripheral, is, would be the exact terminology, peripheral subjects that actually don't hit home to do anything. You're, you're always To be pratting means you're always going around the edges and you're never coming into the heart of the matter. And a wise man will receive instructions if you would dive into the situation but a pratting fool somebody who's always talking about stuff but never being involved in it will fall. He who walks with integrity and I like that definition of integrity is doing the right thing when nobody is watching, right? Anybody can do things in front of somebody else but when you have integrity you're doing it because the Lord sees and you know it's the right thing to do. He who walks with integrity walks securely but he who perverts his ways will become known. So if you're going to have devious sin in your life and try and and conceal it, it's eventually going to come out. He who winks with the eye causes trouble. So that guy who's double dealing, winking at you. has always got something going on behind his, his, his mind as he's looking at you and speaking double if you would. The guy who winks with the eye causes trouble and then it repeats it again. But a pratting fool will fall. And so, if, if there's almost a full thought there of coming and, and walking before the Lord with integrity. When you're a Christian, the, the, the purpose of Christianity is to avoid hypocrisy, avoid uh, being double-minded, and avoid being just somebody who's always talking about things, but to dive into it and to have integrity. Um, one of the things that... Uh, you guys ever play cards, we play euchre a lot. You always trying to make a bid. If you guys ever play Spades, it's another game where you look at your cards and you bid on what you think you can do. And you see some people, they always want to make a bid in their card game that's exaggerated beyond what they have in order to bluff or to scare away another person from making another bid. And sometimes, you know, there's other people, they do the opposite. they It's what's called a sandbag, right? they They got a great hand and they say, oh, I'm going to pass on it or I'm going to bid low on it. In order to know that if I do get the bid, I can get extra points for going beyond what I said I was going to do. You're a, and that's called sandbagging. <clears throat> and so, in life, we don't need to be a sandbagger, and you don't need to be bluffing and bragging, being a, beyond what you are. But the heart is to is to truly acknowledge where you are, walk in security and integrity, and say, "This is who and what I am." And mankind always wants to put himself a little further ahead. I want to talk more about myself than I ought, or I'm going to humble myself with a false sense of humility and put myself down. Uh, the desire is, is that we would sit down there and say, Lord, I want to walk before you in honesty and integrity. Uh, Christianity is weird. You have to be able to say, well, Lord, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm going to grovel before you. I'll, I'll eat broken you know, glass to get to you because you are so mighty and so holy. And at the same time, it also gives you the blessings of saying you're a son of God, you should walk with your head held high and have that level of integrity to know that God's got to provide for you. And, uh, you know, some people could take one set of those verses and and go in one direction, in either direction, and and fall off the cliff. Um, It's important to say this is an honest assessment of where and what I, I am. And I need to, to own up to, to speak the things that are being said uh, uh, honestly with, and back that up with the truth. It says, verse 11, The mouth of the righteous is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. And I think if we're going to pull a theme out of chapter 10, I'm seeing a lot of verses here about what's being spoken what's coming out of your mouth, and what's on your lips. And obviously verse 11 is the mouth of the righteous is a well of life. It's going to speak truth. You don't have to make yourself to be great when you're speaking, but you have to speak truth. He says, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. Wicked people are going to do wrong things and it, causes them to almost not to be able to say anything because they can't back it up with their actions and so they're going to look like a liar if you would. And that's not right either. There is a place for the church to speak, to talk, and to mention things, but it has to do it correctly and speaking about things honestly. So that's our place before the Lord. Verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife. Causes a good fist fight. But love covers all sins. So we need to love, to wash away, to forgive, and not sit down and stir in strife by hating one another. And notice it says, Wisdom is found on the lips of him who has understanding. And I love this verse. But a rod is for the back of him who is devoid of understanding. (laughs) Some people just need to be beat. (laughs) And it's not saying you just go around and beat some people, but sometimes people get a whooping because that's about the only thing they're going to understand. And hopefully wisdom is trying to teach us things to not get a whooping, to get beaten, so that we're not just dumb and have to be beaten like an animal. You want to be able to think, and you want to be able to say, Hey, Lord, where and what are you doing with my life? I want to continue to seek God, to wonder about things, to ask the right questions, and not wind up being beaten. Wise people store up knowledge, but the mouth, the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. The rich man's wealth is in his strong city. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. So if we have uh, accumulated a wealth of information, we begin to build the strong city, if you would. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. And here you're looking at Old Testament, if you would, a little bit of the... Uh, ability to say, if I'm trusting in the Lord, then the Lord's going to take care of me externally. We sometimes don't like that concept in the New Testament, and we are in the Old Testament here with Solomon, and he's trying to teach a practicality, if you would. And he's talking about where if you are going to be a, a wealthy man to have riches, it's going to build a security around you. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. And I suppose it doesn't really matter how you gauge wealth, wealth is relative, but even if you were in the ghetto, poor guy starving as a street person, but you had some wisdom, you would find out you would know how to take care of yourself and have a defense around you, I think. I think there are people that live in the wrong side of the town. There's homeless people, and yet you can see that they have a level of integrity, and they know how to save and squander the things that they do have. I mean, save and protect that, not to squander the things that they have. Well, there's other people that are poor, and they are fools because they take anything that's given to them, and they squander it immediately. And it's not just a matter of your level of wealth. It's a matter of what you do with your wealth, what you do with what you have. And, I, you know, if you're, you're living in China and all you get is a bowl of rice every day, uh, it's nice to be able to turn around and to say, hey, uh, uh, I'm going to take my rice and use it wisely. Or you could be, you know, getting one bowl of rice and you scarf it and you just sit down and hoard everything you've got. Uh, a wise person takes the resources and they treat them as really God's resources and then they turn around and says, God, you gave me this. I want to be wise with this. I want to be prudent and I want to, protect and provide things for a a, a rainy day. I want to put some things aside if I can. And I I don't want to skirt around this, that sometimes, you know, it's, it's amazing when you see foolish people living in sin, destroying their lives and coming up broke all the time. And you have to sometimes look at that and say, Brother, sister, organize your finances. Get your life together. Start being smart with the things that you have. And uh, you can see countless people come through the doors that are, are, are irresponsible with the things that they have and then they expect more to just to be given to them. Scripture tells you if you're faithful with the small things then you'll be entrusted with larger things. That's Jesus. And there's a responsibility for us to be able to say, I, I need to be faithful with whatever I have. If I make a dollar a day, I want to be faithful with that dollar a day. If I'm given a million dollars a day, I want to be faithful with that million dollars. Uh, the, the, the statistics are staggering, and I, I need to do a Google on it and look it up on the amount of people that win the lottery. And I've heard this, this statistic quoted over and over, but it's an astronomical statistic of people that have won the lottery. And you're giving somebody just millions of dollars and how they turn around and, and just end up being destitute miserable and everybody hating them after blowing millions of dollars. Uh, there's something wrong with that. You take an average Joe, you, you make him beyond what he is, you think, well, he's finally hit the good life and he's going to be happy. But the truth is, five years after winning the lottery, their lives are wrecked. They're divorced and nobody likes them and, and they're destitute and even in debt. And you go, how does that happen? How do you take an average guy making $30,000 a year and the next thing you know he's, he's given $3 million? Don't you think he should hit the gravy train and just be able to ra- relax and be comfortable the rest of his life? Doesn't work that way. And I'd like to think, well, give me a couple million bucks and I know how to take care of it. You can trust me with it. But somehow we get stupid pills inside of us and we do crazy things. And, and there is a, 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 a reason and a season for what God does in our life. The rich man's wealth is his strong city. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a protection around him. He's able to handle the things that he has and use it to his gain. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. They have nothing to protect them. They're vulnerable to everything because they're not putting anything together. Verse 16, the labor of the righteous leads to life the wages of the wicked, to sin. So you can be working towards life, or you could be earning a path to death. He who keeps instruction is in the way of life. He who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray. So now you're, you throw that concept of, of, of instruction and correction And sometimes in our life, there are times that God is going to speak to us to make a change in our life. And we can be very stubborn people. And it's very hard to actually put correction inside of somebody. Uh, I think when I started being a pastor and I said, well, I'm going to be up there as a pastor and people are going to be listening to me and I'm going to start telling some people what to do and straighten them out. And I guess every one of us can see people with their problems. It's so easy to see the speck in your brother's eye and miss the log in your own. And that's a cool you know, example because we can look right at people and you know, we can see all their sins so easy. It's just a gift we all have of just being able to analyze people. Isn't it, isn't it amazing how that is? And we are so blind to our own thing. But when you see that speck in your brother's eye... You know, to go up and to start making corrections. And sometimes, I don't know, you start out as the pastor and you think, well, there's a, a calling in my life to go up and I, I, I have to tell this brother he's in sin and I have to tell this brother that they're doing something wrong. And I'm telling you, I've been at this for 15 years. And I'm telling you, it's far and few that I have ever really corrected anybody that they've listened to it and received it. I know why that there's a church and that there's a pastor and a pulpit and it's kind of a little bit more ambiguous. The way church is set up now is nice. I can read the Bible, you can listen to it, you can do what you want with it and walk out the door. But it's amazing when it gets to be one-on-one and all of a sudden I'm talking to you about your problem and then I start to say, this is what needs to change in your life. And boy, you can see people just fight and kick and, and, and resist correction. And, and it takes a wise and discerning heart to take that correction. But nobody really wants that. A lot of people do. They come to church because they want to hear a good message. They want to feel good. They, I didn't come here to get yelled at. I didn't come here to have a bad day. I didn't come here to th- think that I was wrong about something. And when that message actually comes across, man, they're gone. They don't ever come back. And I, I look at it and partly I say, well, man, I don't ever want to speak specific truths into people's lives. When I do that, I, I, whew, man, I know I'm playing with fire. It, it, it's a miracle to walk up to somebody and says, you know, I've been watching you and I've noticed you're doing this wrong. As soon as you say that, people will not receive correction. And Solomon, I think, has king and what's going on. People are stubborn and they're obstinate and they're saying, I know what I believe to be God and I'm not going to listen to you tell me that I might need to go through this problem, this area, or I might be wrong in this in my life. And Solomon's telling you that. He who keeps instruction is in the way of life. If you're going to have that instruction and say, okay, I'm going to follow what's being said. But he who refuses correction goes astray. And unfortunately, that's what happens. It says we just will not listen. And and I I guess it just comes back to me. And then I ask myself and I say, well, Lord, do I listen to correction? I mean, if someone comes up and corrects me, (sighs) Boy, I guess I can be just as stubborn and, and obstinate as the next guy. And I guess I, I you know pastors can be twice the, the, the problem because they think they know everything and they're telling everybody everything. And I have tried to really be an open pastor that says I'm open to correction. If you're watching me do something wrong, I'd like to think you come up and tell me and I, and I, I want to listen. I, I'll weigh it in, in the scales and ponder what you're saying. I really want to believe that I'm that way. I don't know if I am. <laughs> a lot of people have told me stuff and you automatically say ah, oh, shut up, get out of here, you know. And, and 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 I'm amazed at how I can I can categorically reject information coming at me. And it's very hard because you're putting your heart on the line. And and, and to say, well gee, let's look at certain things on what we're doing. And, and I've wondered as a church, I I think Calvary Chapel is a very, I've heard it described as a very loosey-goosey church. You know, We don't have a lot of rules and regulations. We don't really care what happens around anything. We just kind of trust the Lord for everything. And, and I suppose you want the church to be that feel. Come on in and just we'll just have a party. Have a hamburger afterwards and we're all fine. But the truth of the matter is is that there is a method to our madness. I'm following a master plan of what Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa has said and taught. I go to pastor's conferences two or three times, four times a year sometimes, and they are indoctrinating me into a way of thinking to keep this church very much run down to a T the way that it should be run. And it should be run open, and and there. But we're really not open to say, hey, Pastor Dave, you know what? I found out that this other church down the street is doing this, and we're going to do this. And look, it's really working. And you know, and I can really be a quench and say, nah, don't want it, because I know Calvary Chapel's not that way. And that's going on something that's not quote unquote Calvary Chapel. And and we have, uh, it's good that there is a program that I'm following. But at the same time, you really have to be able to be open to the Holy Spirit and say, is everything stuck in my little mold on the way that I think? And it's really hard. It's very hard for anyone, anyone here, to be able to say, wow, God, you're doing something here. I'll have to really look at this and see if I'm willing to put aside my predetermined path and maybe just change the course of what I'm doing with my life. It's torture. It's torture. It's torture. It's really hard to do. I think Solomon as a king saw that. He saw lots of people in his kingdom and thought that he could direct them all, but realized he could also have rebellion in his kingdom. He who refuses correction goes astray. Whoever, verse 18, whoever hides hatred has lying lips. Once again, the lips, tongues, mouth, what comes out of your mouth. And whoever spreads slanderer is a fool. So to slander somebody is to put them down, probably behind their back, to rip them apart. And you're just playing a foolish game of hiding your hatred instead of acknowledging that says, man, I just don't like this, brother. I don't know what's going on. Verse 19, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. And uh, I don't know why I have it memorized, or maybe it's always quoted in some other translation, I'm not sure what translation it is, but with the, with the multitude of words, there is transgression. That's the way I have that verse memorized. I don't know if that's King James or something, I don't know, but maybe that's the way my wife always quotes it to me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very simple. It's saying the more you say, eventually you're going to make an idiot out of yourself. It's better to shut your mouth right, and to not always say everything because sooner or later you're going to say something you're going to trip over. With a multitude of words, the more you say, the more you speak, eventually you're going to make a transgression. Sin is not lacking. It will come out. And it's hard. I, I, I think it's hard sometimes to preach the gospel over and over every Wednesday and Sunday and talking and counseling, and pretty soon you are going to say something that's going to offend somebody. You're going to say something wrong. You're going to make mistakes. Nobody's perfect from the pulpit here, you know. And, uh, and I've listened to my tapes. I've said, ooh, Dave, shut up. Ooh, ooh, that was wrong, you know. <laughs> and, and, and there's some gaping things that, that, that bother, you know, me sometimes that it's just wrong. And uh, hopefully by the second service I have it corrected. (laughs) That's why we like two services. And uh, and it's true we have to be very careful. And one of the things, if we're watching a theme of what's happening here through Proverbs, is that there's you know out of our lips there's an attitude that we can be the pratting fool. We can be talking about and around things, but you need to hit home to the target to make sure that you're speaking and saying the right thing. I like what Jesus says. He says, out of, you know, uh, you're going to be judged for every idle word that you say. And if you think about that, 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 that for the, our idle words, the, the small things that we take for granted, you know, we say some stupid things without thinking. You ever have that where you say something and you go, man, what was I thinking when I said that? And you wish, you said, I should have just shut my mouth and not said something to make myself look like an idiot. And yet, that's exactly what Solomon is really hitting home here to say. You know what? You think about the things that you're saying and doing with your mouth and what comes out of your mouth and the words that you're speaking because when you say something, it could be the wrong thing. And a wise person is going to speak less and allow God to work and not to open up his mouth and speak and throw out volumes of of stupid things. It's very hard to control that. To say, I need to control my tongue, to hold myself back, and to say, Lord, I I need to be quiet here. Let's turn to uh, Matthew chapter 12. Good verse. That's the one I was just quoting to you. Matthew 12, verse 32. Jesus is in the midst of an argument, but notice what he says. Whoever speaks, speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. And he's talking about the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, if you would. But notice, and I, I don't want to go through that whole argument again. We just went through it a couple of weeks ago. But notice is if you speak something. It's not your thinking. It's not your heart. It's what's coming out of your mouth. If you're going to say something stupid against the Son of Man, it's going to be forgiven him. But if you're going to say something, speak something, and say something stupid about the Holy Spirit, uh, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. That's an intense verse. So Jesus says, you know what, this is how you should handle it. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, right? So you're going to have a good tree. Or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. So if you're telling me that your heart is right before God, then out of your mouth will come good things that edify God. You can't say, well, I'm a good tree, but yet I'm always speaking forth perverse, right? Our memory verse, 813. Fear of the Lord, right, is to hate evil, pride, arrogance, in the evil way. And I hate, or the perverse mouth, I hate. That perversion of the mouth. And you want to be able to say, i have got to control what comes out of my tongue. The things I say, it's very important that my words and my heart line up. He says, verse 34, you brood of vipers. You snake in the grass. That's Jesus speaking. How can you, being evil, and he's telling these guys that are Pharisees that they're just evil people, speak what is good. I'm hearing you say nice things, but your heart is a million miles away. And Jesus is saying you're a viper, and how can you do that? And then Jesus turns around and gives a principle. For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So if you're running around saying a whole bunch of stupid things, your heart is wrong. Your your mouth is speaking forth from where your heart is. You should think of that and say, well, what's coming out of my mouth? What am I saying? Am I cursing? Am I using the Lord's name in vain? Am I saying dumb things to hurt other people? I think that's Proverbs 26, 18. Like a madman who throws firebrands and irons is the one who says, I was only joking. Another favorite verse of my wife. And how many people turn around and they go, oh man, you look ugly, you look terrible, you're wicked. Oh, I was just joking. And you go, man, what's coming out of your mouth? And everything always seems to be the butt of a joke. Everything seems to be a ha-ha-ha. Everything seems to be a laughter. And, you know, hey, let's go tell, you know, this joke about, uh, you know, the Polish or, you know, whatever, right? <laughs> Guilty. But, um you know we we can say so many things and laugh about them but somebody's always being put down somebody's always being hurt by things and jesus is telling us that's your heart coming out you think it's okay just to laugh at people you think it's okay to put everything down and you don't even think twice about the careless words that you're speaking he says the good man Verse 35, the good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. So if your heart's right, you're going to be speaking the things that are coming out of your mouth are going to match that up because it's a good thing coming out of a good treasure. But the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. And then Jesus, I mean, listen to this guilt trip. He says, but I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an account for it in the day of judgment. Wow. Wow. I guess that's why you have eternity, because that's going to take a long time. We say a lot of careless things, and Jesus is turning around. He says, think, and I don't know if there's going to be an inventory on judgment day. I'm sure that when we're believers and we stand before the Lord, you get the, you know, well done, my good and faithful son, all things are forgiven. And it's not going to be like, well, gee, I didn't really mean to say that, you know, Polish joke over there. And God's going to come up and, you know, give me a few lashes for that, but still let me into the kingdom of heaven. I I, I think Jesus is really trying to get us to think about what comes out of our mouth. There is is power in the words that leave our lips. Uh, You can do a lot of damage to somebody by saying something. I've been in this church business for a while and you see people that walk out the door and they can have a thousand good things happen and then they'll turn around and say, when somebody said that to me, they really hurt my feelings. And it was just a careless word. It was a minor thing that was said so that so many people can say, wow, you know, when I was saying something, I wasn't thinking about this. But all of a sudden, people can be so hurt and so wounded. And for you and I, it should give us a, 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 a serious slap in the face and say, think about what's coming out of your mouth, just in the sense of how it can hurt you. And then on the other hand, you should turn around and say, well, you know, what I can do with my mouth is I can speak edification to somebody. I can build up their day. How many times can somebody be depressed and miserable and I can turn around and say, man, you're a great brother. I'd love to have you around. You're awesome. And it just takes me to say something and people's whole life can be changed. And, and we neglect the things that happen. Words can heal. Words can, can, can hurt so much. And yet, we have to understand that as we as Christians, we've got to look at ourselves and say, what's coming out of our mouth? What's coming out of our mouth? I don't know about you, but... Church has a design to it. When we come before, when we come before the Lord to, for church, we do something to start the church service. Is that first half hour of music? It, it, hopefully, it's a little bit more than just you know listen to a snappy tune. It, it's it's it, it's a time for us to turn around and to express express to God our heart. And the songs and the, the, the things that we're selecting and doing are things that we should be able to express to God. Uh, you know, when, when you're part of Calvary Chapel in the congregation, you are the choir. God is the audience. And you have an opportunity to speak out of your mouth praise and thanksgiving. The songs that we're singing should be saying, Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. Those are the things that we want coming out of our lips. Just read the words and speak them and hopefully it starts to change the heart and the mind. And it's amazing when you see people come into the church and, you know, I don't know if they're young Christians, new Christians, they're walking out of the world a little bit and you can see they have such a hard time with worship. Hmm. It's, it's a grating feeling to be able to say, I, I don't know if I can sing this. I mean, these people are happy and snappy and just praising the Lord. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know where my heart quite is with the Lord. I'm not going to stand up and be happy and snappy right now and, and be praising the Lord. And, and it should be a time for us to say, Lord, I want to be able to sing this. I want to be able to say that. It's not whether or not you can have a great voice and you should be, you know, everyone wants to listen to you sing a solo. We crank up the music loud enough so that you can sing as loud as you want and people next to you shouldn't be bothered by what you're singing or not singing or how you sing. It's by design. There's a method to our madness. And we want it so that you can be able to sit down there and say, Lord, I love you. And it's it's hard. I, when I first got saved, I, I sat in church. was just, music's weird, you know. I don't like the music. I'm just here for the teaching. And I sat there for a long time. Hey, church starts at ten. I know I can get there at 10.30 and I'll catch the last song and then i hear a good teaching. But as you grow in the Lord, you're starting to say, well, I think I can, I can lift up a praise song. I can offer up out of my lips and can, can, can say the right thing. And then you go for the granddaddy, you know. Right? Gee, I think you got a 10,000 pound weight in your hand, you know? I don't want to lift my hands and just praise the Lord. But there's something about being able to just stand before the Lord and say, Lord, man, I'm giving it all to you, man. All of me is all of you. And I'm yelling for the top of my you know, mouth to say, thank you, Jesus. And that's a heart that's there to express itself. And, and hopefully you open up that door and you start to work through that. And you want to be able to say, well, what's coming out of my lips? It's amazing how you can sit you know, at the bar and be drunk and sit down there and curse the Lord all day long. But if you come here in church and people are praising the Lord, you go, I can't do that. What's that telling you? I won't even repeat what message that is. I might offend somebody. And, and, and you have to be able to say, Jesus is saying, I tell you that every careless word that people speak, uh, they're going to give an account for it in the day of judgment. Be careful what comes out. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. By what you say, by what comes out of your mouth, as your lips are smacking, what, what are they doing? Turn with me to Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 13. Familiar verses for us. Jesus says that if, or I'm sorry, Paul would say that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, verse 9, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So he says that if you confess with your mouth speaking the words through your teeth and your gums and your lips, Jesus as Lord. It's not just a little thing in your heart. You've got to believe in your heart, but you've got to let it come through the teeth, gums, and lips. And believe in your heart that God raised them from the dead. You will be saved if you can put both of those things together. For with the heart a person believes. Oh, great. You believe in Jesus. It's right there. I know. I'm thinking it. I believe it. That results in, interestingly, righteousness. You're going to be made right before God by having your heart right. But it says with the mouth, he confesses. The teeth, the lips, and the gums are moving. And that, when you do that, that results in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call out of the lips, the teeth, and the gums on the name of the Lord will be saved. So you can understand that Jesus is, or Paul is teaching that that we have to confess. Things need to come out of our mouth to be saved. To make a distinction, and I went to I, I went to, to to church for a year. I. I I was a Marine, and I, I started going to a home Bible study, and then I started going to church on Sundays, then I started going Sunday nights, then I started going Tuesdays and Wednesdays to the home Bible studies, and then I started going to there, and and I was literally going to church, literally, seven days a week, twice on Sundays, huge church Cal- in California, and after, you know, so much time, I was there for, uh, you know, a year or so, and, uh, They said, hey, we're going out to the lake, you're going to get baptized, you know. I'm like, and I was talking to this girl, she said she was going to get baptized, so I said, I'll go down to the lake and get baptized, because she's getting baptized, you know. It wasn't Carla, it was another gal that I was semi-interested in, you know, and I kind of went to this baptism, I can remember, we went out to the ocean, April, it was like April 9th, went out there, and, 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 you know, they would give all these altar calls all the time at church. If anybody wants to come forward, if anybody wants to come forward, I'd always go, I ain't going to go forward for nothing. I'm I'm already a Christian. I was a Christian since I was 13, you know. Blah, 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 blah. And so they have this thing. You go out to the ocean, go get baptized. Ah, why not? You know, I was thinking about it. And it was really weird. The water was ice cold. I mean, you put your toe in the water and you go, oof, oof. It's like us out of the lake, you know. And I walked out there. And there was three or four guys baptized, and there was like about 150 people getting baptized at the same time. And I walk out there, and when I walked up to this guy, you know, the water became just lukewarm. I mean, it was just warm. And I was like, wow. And, and, and they go, well, before we baptize you, you've got to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And I'm telling you, I think that was the first time it really left my lips. And I said, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And I don't know the whole magical moment of being baptized, the whole thing of what was going on, but it was something about it coming out of my lips. Now, I I believe, you know, for the first year I was a Christian, I was, you know, interacting with the Lord. I know that I had a lot of powerful things, and I told a lot of people about Jesus, but there's something about making a bold confession of Jesus is my Lord and when you say that it's like the presence of the Holy Spirit was unleashed and things came down upon me and I was just I mean I felt like I could have walked on the water out of that baptism I can remember sitting on my bed for three days after being baptized and I felt like I was just levitating off my bed and I was like man I've never experienced a a spiritual high like this and it was just so wonderful. And there's, there's, something, there's just something about the concept of when it leaves your lips and you say that and say, Jesus is my Lord. If we confess him before men, he'll confess us before the Father. If we deny him and says, well, I just got Jesus in my heart and we deny him, then he's going to deny us before the Father. And, and there is an obligation for the things that we speak and say into and is critical. There is a connection. There is a connection between the teeth, the tongue, and the gums, and the spiritual movement within inside of us. And I know that sounds a little bit weird. I'm not into the whole blab it and grab it and name it and claim it, and you know you got to just speak everything you want and you're going to get whatever you want because you're saying it over and over as some mantra witchcraft thing. But whether you like that or not, there there is a concept of as you speak forth something, so it is in a certain sense. And you can't get around that principle that that is a New Testament principle. And obviously Solomon is hammering that home as well. James tells us, he says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, he says, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourself doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. The verse before that says, Being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And it's what you're saying, it's what you're doing to receive the word, but if you're only hearing it, you're going to delude, you're deluded. You take something good and you pour water into it, you dilute it so it's good for nothing. And there is a, a mandate in us to be careful of what we say and what we do with the tongue. Turn to James chapter 3, verse 2. James 3, 2. Amen. Can't, can't teach on this without covering this verse, right? For we all stumble in many ways. Yes, we all do. In many ways. He says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, oh, he's a perfect man. So we can all make a lot of mistakes. You want to hit home for perfection. Well, you try being perfect and not saying anything dumb. He says, uh, he is a perfect man if he is able to bridle, bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth, So that uh, they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. So he's saying you can take a a horse and you can put a, you know, that bridle, that bit in its mouth. And what you do is you yank that horse's head is what you're doing and ripping his lips this way. And he goes in the direction that you pull. If you were a good cowboy, that's not good English style riding, but it's good cowboy riding that you'd yank the horse's head to go in the direction because he's going to run where he's looking. He says, uh, he says uh, look at the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. And so you think of the boat with this little rudder, it says, So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fly- fire. So it's amazing how much damage can happen and how many things can be burned by the tongue. And yet it is just a small little thing and look at all the damage that can happen. And the tongue is a fire. The very uh, word world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the uh, entire body. And sets on fire the course of your life. And is set on fire by hell. <laughs> how do you like that? For every species of beasts and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send forth from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Can salt water produce fresh? Who among you is wise and understand him, let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. So even James is telling you control that tongue, control the idle words that you are speaking forth which just seems so small and insignificant it can set a forest afire. And we have this ability to bless God with what we're doing with our tongue or we can turn around and curse God, put man down and to be a fool. And it comes down to the careless idle words that we say and the things that go rolling through us An ounce of common sense would have said, man, I wish I could back that down. I wish I could take that back. I wish I didn't say that. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16 talks about Esau. Interesting verse. has Esau, uh, it talks about, and if we know the story back in Genesis 25, uh, there's Jacob and Esau with twin brothers. Esau was destined to get the birthright because he was the older of the twins came out the second before if you would and uh, uh, yet uh, Jacob comes up and tricks him Esau's hungry he comes in from the field he was a hunter and uh, uh, he didn't catch anything that day and I guess uh, he's starving to death well Jacob is the mama's boy he's in the kitchen cooking away if you would and Esau comes in and says, man, I could, I could use something to eat. Jacob goes, oh, really? I'll tell you what, you give me your birthright, and I'll give you something to eat. For a bowl of porridge, as they say, for a mor- morsel of food. Jacob go, er, Esau goes, man, well, what good is my birthright if I'm starving to death? I might as well take my birthright. And then he turns around, and as he, Jacob says, here's your bowl of porridge now, the birthright is mine. It really plays itself into the next chapter where Jacob tricks his father Isaac by putting on sheep's clothing to look like him because his father's blind. And Jacob ends up getting the birthright. And and you see that Esau despised it. But Proverbs puts the commentary on it. I'm sorry, Hebrews 12 puts the commentary on it and says, here's Jacob. Uh, 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 taking this from Esau and Esau wanting it back later realizing that he'd been tricked he's screaming in, in, in tears for repentance to get it and he's not gonna get it back because at that moment at a certain point in his life he said the wrong stupid thing he sold his birthright for a bowl of porridge for a, for a morsel in his belly and, and there are times in your life when everything comes together and we say the craziest things and, and there's such ramifications you can't take those things back. And, and we, we, we just think that we can say one thing, do another, do this and do that and the whole meaning of everything that's being brought out is we have to be very careful not to be the pratting fool that talks about all the circumstances and everything on the edge and never dealing with the truth and thinking about the truth. We don't even care what comes out of our mouth. And out of our mouth, it's so important with the words that we speak. It has something to do with your salvation. If you can confess what comes out of your your tongue, your gums and your teeth, what comes out of that has so much power. And there are times that we have to be able to say, yes, I'm going to speak the words. It's not just your heart. And I'm a firm believer. You're saved by faith. You have to, you know, Christ is in your heart, and it's a matter of your heart being made right. But it has a lot to do also with confirming that with what comes out of your tongue, teeth, lips, gums, and saying, I'm speaking Jesus. And there's power there. There's power and we cannot underestimate the power of our words and think that we can say things so flippantly. I, I, trust me, I, 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 wanna, I am the guiltiest party in the world. I have said some stupid things. I'm not here to tell you that it's easy. It's, if you want to be perfect, you can do exactly just what I say and get that right. You'll be perfect. And, and James is telling you, you can't do it. The tongue is a beast, it's a monster, and you've got to look at yourself. And Solomon is turning around, going back to Proverbs, and he's saying, A wise man, a wise man is careful with his lips, with his tongue, with his mouth. Let's back up a little bit and go to verse 8 again. And... uh, It just says, just to read it through, it says the, the, the wise in heart, uh, chapter 10, verse 8, the wise in heart will receive commands, but a pratting fool will fall. He who walks with integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his way will become known. He who winks with the eye causes trouble, but a pratting fool, someone who talks about a bunch of garbage, will fall. The mouth of the righteous is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth The mouth of the wicked. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Wisdom is found on the lips of him who has understanding. But a rod is for the back of him who is devoid of understanding. Wise people store up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. The rich man's wealth is in his strong city. The destruction of the poor is in their poverty. The labor of the righteous leads to life, the wages of the wicked to sin. He who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray. Whoever hides hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Verse 20, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many. Yes, it's the lips of the righteous feed many. But fools die for lack of wisdom. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. To do evil is like sport to a fool, but a man of understanding has wisdom. The fear of the wicked will come upon him, and the desire of the righteous will be granted. When the whirlwind passes by, the wicked is no more. But the righteous has an everlasting foundation. And you've got to love this next verse. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy man to those who send him. <laughs> you always think, oh, you ever sit around the fire and you get smoke in your eyes and you're like, Ugh. it stops you. Have you guys ever had vinegar on the teeth? You ever eat that where your teeth get all, you feel like you you could close your mouth and snap a tooth just by crackling them, you know? I don't know if you ever had that experience of like the sour grapes or the vinegar. And he goes, He goes. that's what it's like as a lazy man. So that, and it's the, those who send him. So you can see poor Solomon's had incompetent employees. <laughs> it's kind of hard being the smartest man in the world to find somebody else that will work for you that you like. <laughs> Never mind. He says, the fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. The hope of the righteous will be gladness but the expectation of the wicked will perish. The way of the Lord is strength for the upright. But destruction will come to the workers of iniquity or sin. The righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not inhabit the earth. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut out. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. So it has a lot to do with the words that we speak. It has a lot to do with what comes out of our mouth. And it is amazing if we would just stop and listen to ourselves, we would have a good gauge on what our and where our heart is. And so wisdom would say, speak slow, don't be quick to just blab everything all over the place, think about your idle words and what's coming out of your mouth, that you don't get to a point in your life that you just say something stupid, or you could be like Esau, begging and crying to take something back, and it's too late. And unfortunately it's true, when you say something out of your lips, it takes forever to take it back, when you wish you could have just restrained yourself the first time and not said it. But I've been there, and I have said dumb things to certain people, and once that's said, you can never erase it. And people will always say, "For the, oh, I know Dave's heart. I know what he's saying. He told me this. And if you beg and cry and weep and say, don't think like that. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know why I was saying that. I don't know what happened. People get that in their mind, and they can never take it back. And, you know, maybe my, my, you know, position as a pastor, you know, I get to see this in full effect all the time. But it's a true, and it's a true proverb for every single one of us. We have to be careful on how we speak. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. So... I don't want a perverse word coming out of my mouth. I've got to think about the things that I'm saying and doing. I've got a, a mouth, and out of my mouth needs to come the confession of my Lord and Savior. And I need to be able to say, Lord, I want to worship you, praise you, and give my life to you. Amen? All right, let's stand and close in prayer. The Heavenly Father, we do come before you, Father, and we praise you and thank you. And we do pray that uh, we would not make sport of evil, Father, but we would be wise in our understanding. I pray, Father, that we would think about every idle word that proceeds from our mouth. That uh, sometimes we say the stupidest things. I pray, Father, you would forgive us for our careless jesters and our coarse jesting. But I pray that you would uh, work in us, Father, a heart of sensitivity. Father, give us patience so that we would be not uh, quick to uh, jump to the wrong conclusion and say the wrong thing. Father, help us not to be an Esau that would beg and cry from repentance and not to be heard. Father, I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would work in us a deep work in our lives as only you can. We thank you, Father. We praise you. Give you all the glory, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.